take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. My name is Rachel Gilmore. I am a church planter and elder in the United Methodist Church, currently working as the Director of Recruiting, Training, and Assessment and Community Engagement at Path One New Church Starts for Discipleship Ministries. Say that five times fast. You should see my business card. Um, anyways, I'm excited for this very first ever podcast. We wanted to share with you the thoughts of current field preachers when it comes to church planting in the Methodist Church. What, what's going to happen after General Conference? 2020? It's an important question we're all asking, planters especially. So what we did is we gathered together a group of uh, 14 planters in Chicago at an Airbnb. We spent a few days together talking, laughing, crying, dreaming, praying, and talking with you about what's on our heart when it comes to General Conference. Hope you enjoy. All right. Uh, I'm so glad you guys are joining me. So what I'd love to do now for the folks listening is um, just go around the circle and have each of you guys share your name, where you're from, and the name of what you gave birth to as a veteran planter. I suppose I'll go first. Uh, My name is Jasper Peters. I'm from Denver, Colorado. I'm the pastor of Belong Church, which uh, is about two and a half years into our worshiping life. I am Brianna Ilene, and I'm from Madison, Wisconsin, and I'm the pastor at Trinity United Methodist Church. My name is Mike Bachman. I'm uh, the founding pastor and executive director for Union Coffee in Dallas. I am Sarah Ewing Merrill, um, co-founder of Hope Gateway um, in Portland, Maine. I'm Christian Kuhn, co-founder of Urban Village Church in Chicago. And I am Derek Jacobs, the lead pastor of the village in DeSoto, Texas, outside of Dallas. Hi, everyone. My name is Tyler Sitt. I am a church planter in South Minneapolis of New City Church. My name is Tiffany Keith. I am the pastor, the founding pastor of The Edge in Colorado Springs. I'm Jerry Herships. I'm the founding pastor of After Hours Denver. Hi, I'm Jenny Edwards-Bertrand, and I am the founding pastor of Hope Church in Bloomington, Illinois. We're five and a half years old. My name is Matt Smith, and I'm one of the uh, founding co-pastors of The Table in Sacramento, which will be celebrating nine years this fall. Hi, my name is Stacy Piacun, and I'm the pastor at Melissa United Methodist, which is in the North Dallas area, and we're about seven years old. I'm Tim Ward. I am the founding pastor of Restoration Church in Reston, Virginia, and in January, we'll celebrate our fifth birthday. Awesome. Um, So, Tim, I'll have you um, stick with me for a second. My first question, because I'd like to just dive into General Conference 2020 uh, and its effect on planters and the things that we've planted. So, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being like you are super focused (laughs) at every moment of the day on General Conference, what's happening, what will be decided, and a 1 being like what is General Conference, what's going on in the Methodist Church, Tim, where would you say that you are numerically on that scale, and where your plant is. So while I wouldn't say that I wake up every morning with General Conference on my mind, I would say the outcome of General Conference, I'm feeling like a 10 on the outcome of it. Uh, My church, while I don't think they wake up every morning thinking about it either, I believe that the outcome matters to them a ton and their connections. So I'd put them in the 8 to 9 range as well. I'll echo a lot of what Tim said. I think that my church ends up in a in a six to seven range. It's not something that we wake up and think about every day because there's people in our midst that God's called us to love and serve today. Um, but the outcome of General Conference will have an impact on how we choose to move forward in our life together. 
Um, this is Matt from the table, and I would say um, I echo what has been shared um, in terms of my own response to it. And I would say at the at the table, we have a wide variance in terms of where people are. And um, as a church that's open and affirming, uh, what I learn from mostly is um, queer people in our community who have been in this struggle for so long and are identifying that this just feels like one more wounding in a long history of the church not seeing their belovedness. And so... Um, uh, tragically, it feels like just one more um, example of how the church has hurt the folks that are in our community. Um, and so there's still an ambivalence, though, of there's uh, I no longer even there are people in our church that don't even hope that um, that the church could love them in that way on a global level, but are trusting that the people that they're in deep relationship with in their local place are, are finding their way of following Jesus together. This is Jenny. I would say that at Hope Church, our people um, care deeply about full inclusion and are aware of um, the impact of the denominational church, but aren't. Um, we will make decisions together as a faith community after May. However, um, that does not mean that they wake up at a 10 caring about it. Uh, they care about love. Uh, absolutely everyone is loved by God, is uh, prayed and affirmed weekly. So that's where we are clearly. Uh, I've also been kind of proud of some of my people that got involved politically and the number of lay people from Hope Church, our scrappy new church start, who are delegates. And so we're in it through May and um, and putting our money where our mouth is. So. This is uh, Jerry with After Hours Denver. We just had a, a transition. I just uh, transitioned out of After Hours, uh, so I want to be cautious speaking for them. But when uh, General Conference 2019 happened, I would say we were all clocking in about a nine or a ten plus plus, and uh, it was a it was a huge issue. Uh, I think it's still a huge issue. I think GC 2020 will have a huge impact on After Hours. Um, as time passed, we probably went, I went from a 10 to a 9 to an 8 to probably sitting pretty steady at a 7 as far as knowing what's going on. Sometimes it feels like it's almost impossible to keep up. The plans are changing and things are evolving. Even in the room just now, we had, well, I thought that happened. Well, that did happen, but this other thing happened. But no, they overruled that happening, and it's actually this. So it's, it's uh, we'll say a 7. I, for me, I think knowing the details, I'm probably seven or an eight, some days nine. Um, my church on details is probably eh, four or five. We talk about it, but I don't dig into all of the details with them. Um, I care. I think I care every morning what the results are. Um, I think about it a lot. They are... The majority of my people are not Methodist, um, and you, on know, some of them go to their other churches. So we have a Catholic and we have a pagan, and you know, and we have um, uh, LDS, and they care, but it's not their family in that way. So I think whatever happens to the Methodist church, they know that their family is still there for them. Um, so I think they care, but it's not tied to their who they are, because they don't feel Methodist. This is Tyler from New City. 
Um, so I'm a, I'm a gay Asian elder in the United Methodist Church. So in terms of how much I care, I'd probably round down to an 11, <laughs> 11,000. So uh, this, is, this is pretty much, I mean, my, my calling since, uh, I mean, I felt, I felt called to be a pastor since I was 17 at Discovery United Methodist Church, and I have been in the United Methodist Church, born and baptized um, my whole life. And so in terms of personal import, I, I can't think of any one decision that would have more impact on my vocation. Uh, in terms of New City goes, I, I think that they care a lot, a lot, a lot about the outcomes of these conversations, um, but they're really preoccupied with other things. Like there, there was a, an ice raid in our neighborhood last week that um, ended up in a deportation, and that's really scary for some of my folks. So um, I, I think that it's hard to keep up with the, with the polity proceedings, um, but in terms of the impact of the decision, that's, um, that's, a, that's a 10 for them. And this is Derek, and uh, being an African-American and dealing with discrimination all of my life, I would say that myself and the congregation, the village that I pastor in Dallas, we probably um, hover around a two or a three, uh, simply because, uh, whereas we definitely um, uh, care about what happens in GC 2020, regardless of the decision, we will continue to do the ministry and the work that God is calling us to do, uh, which is to love all people and welcome all people. Uh, Christian from Urban Village, and would echo almost what everyone says, that our folks are care deeply a 10 on the impact and how that will affect um, our affiliation with the denomination. But as far as the nitty-gritty stuff, it's, you know, two or three. Um, this is Sarah from Hope Gateway. Um, and the impact, yes, um, is earth-shattering <laughs> for our community, but um, we are not waking up um, wondering because we don't trust that the system will fix itself. Um, and so we're trying to find our path forward and waiting until some things are clear, but also um, being really clear with all of our people that we will still marry you, we will still welcome you, we will still invite you into leadership. And if that means we get kicked out, we, we will do that. If that means we have to leave, we will do that. Um, so it definitely matters and the chaos of moving from the current reality to some future reality, that, that is um, a little bit oppressive, really, for all of us um, to live in that not knowing. But we, we also know that we cannot continue in the current, in the current reality. Uh, this is Mike Bachman from Union, and um, I would say that, you know, I used to be at a 10 or 11 watching everything so intently and have just experienced a lot of fatigue over time um, as our family uh, has been super involved in or was super involved in um, the last special called session, a general conference, um, and has been involved, honestly, in fighting on a kind of local level and annual conference level for years. Um, we're tired. 
Um, so I'm probably not as up on it as I used to be. That said, I'm watching my congregation take it up to a notch that they've never had before, which is crazy because it's a congregation full of folks who left the church or are never a part of the church, and they've turned into total methodorks. And um, <laughs> they are, um, you know, organized a lot at annual conference over what lay members would end up being elected to general conference jurisdiction, and uh, they ended up creating... Um, certainly the most diverse and youngest delegation we've ever seen in North Texas, and it's probably one of the youngest and most diverse delegations in the um, in the connection. Uh, and it happened because groups from my congregation, a scrappy new church start organized, and it was beautiful to watch and see. Um, and now I've got several members who are writing legislation to General Conference who are um, super involved in the fight, and so I'm just trying to keep up with them right now. Um, they care a lot about the outcomes. They're checking the day-to-day. Um, and um, But they're not talking about leaving. They've said, like, we'll be who we are, and if they need to kick us out, they need to kick us out. This is Brianna from Trinity, and um, I think personally I'm at a 10. I identify as a bisexual woman, but I'm a cisgender woman married to a cis man. And so also have a lot of privilege in that. Um, I'm also in the ordination process, so not like still like committing fully to this church. And so like that's a lot. I plan on being ordained this coming June. <laughs> we'll see. Um, and so that's where I'm at. My local church, I think, is in deeply invested in the income or the outcome, but like also not caught up in the nuances of the day-to-day and figuring out what that looks like. This is Jasper, and um, as someone who's been elected as a a delegate, I feel like that requires me to be at a 9 or 10 most of the time. Um, Whether I think about GC directly, I I think about the outcomes quite often. Uh, For our church, I'd say we hover between it, honestly, between a three and a five or six, depending on what's going on. I, I, I work to make sure people are aware of what's happening so that they feel abreast of the situation. They're not going to be surprised by something. But at the same time, we are we are committed to getting free and being free. And we are committed to being the church that we're called to be, sort of no matter what happens. Um, so, so most of our attention is put on uh, sort of other pesky sorts of things like outreach and service and things that following Jesus, following Jesus you know, <laughs> vaguely, right, rather than uh, on on every every kind of peak and valley of the UMC. Awesome. Um, thank you guys so much for sharing what's going on in your heart, the heart of your church. Um, I have a few more questions that not necessarily everybody has to answer, but if a couple of people could chime in and just let us know what you're thinking. Um, word on the street or discussions being held at conference um, district local levels are planters, you tend to be good at what you do because you don't mind taking risks. You have an entrepreneurial, adventurous spirit. So when it comes to general conference, does that mean that the thought of disaffiliation doesn't scare you like it does other pastors? If you're on the the left or right or wherever, um, do you have a sense that more plants will leave than establish churches? Thoughts? Have you talked about disaffiliation yet in any way? Um, This is Sarah from Hope Gateway in Maine in the New England Annual Conference. Um, I would say yes. (laughs) Um, I don't want to speak for all the people around the circle, but I think um, 
as new systems, um, our congregations are more adept at change than um, others, though it's really true. Um, there are nine or 10 of us in New England who will um, declare that we are discerning disaffiliation on September 26th, and all of those others are established congregations. So it's definitely possible for, um, well, actually one of them sold their building, and so they're kind of new church starting. Um, so I think anybody can do it. Um, anybody can take a risk, but the spirit that we have been given as new faith communities makes us more willing to take a stand for what we really believe in and think that that's more important than keeping the building. This is Tyler from New City. Um, I want to name a really important theme that uh, many of the delegates of color brought up at General Conference, which is marginalized people have been taking risks in this denomination since the beginning of this denomination. Like, uh, the, there has always been an element of risk. It's just that previously that risk was heaped onto marginalized people, especially queer people and uh, people of color. And I think that this is an opportunity for us to trust in a God who saw us this far <laughs> and a God who um, is a God of miracles and uh, a God who created people for a moment like this to be able to take the next risk forward. And I think um, I'm especially calling on uh, my siblings who have dominant identities to, to leverage privilege to be able to um, distribute the sense of risk in a community. With that said, like New City hasn't um, had any conversations of disaffiliation. I, I think that we really care about um, practicing a, a witness and, and seeing things through as, as far as we can in our denomination. I think that's wh where we landed as a community. Um, but I, it changes the conversation when you're not scared of the disaffiliation or you're not scared of starting something new. Marginalized people have always had to start something new. <laughs> so like, if, if we're not afraid of that, then that becomes an option and not just an um, uh, indication that something's wrong. Um, you said something that made me, this is Jerry from After Hours, Denver. Um, there's a scripture verse that says, the, the word is a lamp unto my feet, and it, it isn't a street light. It's not. Um, a huge light that lights up from the rooftop to light the whole path. It just lights the next step. And I think there is an opportunity here for us to be faithful and to say we don't know where the next step is, but we are going to step out in faith. Uh, we are going to align with justice. Uh, we see this as, as wrong. Um, there ha And again, I, I as of July 1st, I've left after hours, but I know prior to that there was very... Uh, intentional conversation around after hours leaving. Um, it, it felt um, at moments almost like we didn't have a choice. Now, uh, the landscape shifts daily, and so uh, I don't know uh, where they are now and even how the conference rules, but I know there was... Uh, and we are at a unique scenario, and we're very cognizant of the fact we don't have as much skin in the game because we don't have a building. Uh, 
if they wanted to claim our assets, they would get two duffel bags and a sign. Uh, that, that's all we have, literally, uh, and some coasters. Uh, so we feel like we can pretty much pack up and start over there, wherever over there is. Uh, and we're very co cognizant that that's uh, not a privilege everybody has. I sometimes wonder when people see church planters or they talk about new churches, just how seriously they take us. They may trot us out at annual conference or general conference and like, look at what the church is doing. Uh, and then kind of like, all right, now go back to whatever to the weird things that you're doing with your handful of people. Um, but particularly for those who need to know what's a new thing and how do we do ministry without a building? I mean, my God, we should be out front and people should hopefully be really paying attention to our learnings because a lot of people are going to be asking the question, we don't know how to do church without a building and we all have. And so I hope that, um, we aren't just this cute little thing that you can put in a video, but that we can really be seen as trailblazers and leaders uh, so that we can help others who may be having these hard decisions. Completely agree. So if you're looking for a coach to help you figure out planting and ministering without a building, it's Jerry this is Kerships a at Gmail. <laughs> at Gmail, just With throwing that, that out there. Yeah. Um, so, so we're not going to identify who's speaking anymore, but we do want to rush through a few more questions. So talk, share. Um, and the next question I'd love to discuss, uh, because there are planters that are it's, it sounds like we're all kind of in a similar place on the theological spectrum, but we know that there are Methodist churches, plants and planters out there that are in different places. So when it comes to that theological spectrum, looking at the future post-General Conference 2020, how closely do you want to or can you work with folks in a very different place? Do we want to train, pray, vision, rent Airbnbs together, Airbnbs together for a few days? What are your thoughts? I would say that um, when you're planting something new, you read every book and listen to every blog and podcast. I mean, it does not matter where someone is on the theological um, uh, spectrum. We really appreciate learning how to do this. It's We're not risk averse, and um, we're willing to experiment and try so much. So in terms of learning from and communicating with each other, absolutely. Um, in terms of the um, reality that um, on January 2nd, um, we're not in an equal conversation anymore. Um, I will just say for myself, I'm very aware that it's no longer, um, and, and to what Tyler said, it's never been an equal conversation. Um, it, there's just some, uh, there's a reality to our system that makes it even more, um, uh, the power balance even more unequal. Mm -hmm. And I, we haven't had this discussion, even though we've spent a few days together, but I know that my, um, when I came to understand the distinction of my theology from people who stand on a different place, it wasn't with my Methodist colleagues, it was with my Pentecostal colleagues who's in ministry with the immigrant community that I'm in ministry with and was asked to be at the table um, as a queer ally. And I realized in that conversation that he articulated, he believes that his job is to save the soul of the people in his care, and that means stopping them from sinning. 
That is not what I believe that my job as a pastor is. I do not believe that is my role to bring salvation to individuals. My job is to open people to relationship with God and that they figure out what that relationship looks like and how, what stands in the way. And I am not there to name their sin. And so I think um, in that enlightenment, in that moment, I realized that actually we're not really about the same work in many ways, that what I want to bring to someone as a pastor is really different than what my colleagues who have a different perspective believe. And so um, in some ways they can be an asset and I can learn things from them, but we're not really partners in this thing that we're doing because that's their goal is really different um, and kind of oppositional to my goal. It's a uh, very powerful thing for me to be a part of particularly this group that has been gathering now for the past couple of days. And the reason I say that is because we come from different walks of life, we're different races, different cultures, whatever. And any time that you can get those different groups in the same room, I believe that not only relationships built, uh, lifelong relationships are built, but I also believe that we can work together uh, and move from being stagnant to being much more effective. And I'm hoping that's where we will head after being a part of a group like this with all these church planners, learning and growing from one another and just being in relationship with one another. And I just find that to be very powerful. Thanks. That's like a perfect segue into the next question. You know, what is your biggest hope for the future of Methodism or for, you know, post-general conference, your biggest hope or your biggest fear? So I guess I'll speak again. Um, for me, my biggest hope is that the United Methodist Church would stop acting like the government and that we would put our own agendas to the side, and particularly the delegates, put our agendas and thoughts and feelings to the side and instead replace them with the gospel and what the gospel has to say. I think the problem right now is where we have too much of us in it and less of the gospel. It'd be more powerful for us to operate more off facts than feelings. And what I'm saying is that, for me, the gospel is facts. To love all people, to welcome all people, to be inclusive of all people. If we can replace our thoughts with facts... I think that there's some hope for the United Methodist Church. Get rid of agendas and all the other stuff, like the government, how they, how they work, and really operate like the Church of Jesus Christ. I think God has called us to be different. I think my biggest fear is that we continue to do again what we've done these last um, several years, which is to focus our attention um, in one very narrow direction and find ourselves completely divided around how we um, relate in this way. And my uh, biggest hope would be that that God would break into the midst of all of the uh, decades and decades of bureaucracy that we've piled on top of bureaucracy and set us free to um, to love our neighbors. I think um, my biggest fear for General Conference is that we will have a paltry win. Um, And by that, it's that we're going to 
and 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 I don't mean that as a like a win for progressives or a win for anything else. I'm really worried that what's going to happen is we come to some sort of agreeable terms and we end up being the United Methodist Church as it's always been, but gay people are allowed to play sometimes. Um, because the reality is, if our, you know, well, really, I, I I do lead as a part of my congregation. We do have a predominantly black and brown congregation. Um, if I was the pastor of a black church, I would be looking at leaving the Methodist church right now because certainly as it stands on a lot of annual conferences and what I observe in ours is a ridiculous amount of white supremacy within the system. I see a ridiculous amount of patriarchy still inherent in the system. I see a ridiculous amount of um, problems within the system as we operate and while the system has created a lot of good, um, there are some terrible things that are latent. And if all that we do is say, like, the Methodist churches has been, plus gay people can be involved, that's not enough for me anymore. I'm, I'm uninterested in that reality and that future. Um, we have at our doorstep an opportunity to reimagine who and what we can be and how we can be as a church. And um, if we go for something smaller than that, uh, I'm not very interested. I find hope too in, I think that God is already moving and the new church is already emerging. I had some conversations with some folks who in the last month or two were like, well, we don't want to join because we don't, we've left the United Methodist church. We don't want to, we don't care if it's a new church. We don't want to be a part of the United Methodist church anymore. And I looked and there was, was a lot of discerning happening and trying to figure out where we go forward. And I looked at them and they know a lot of people in the, the Methodist circles. And these are people who've worked on conference staff and that sort and been burned by the system and burned by the institution. And I said, no, I don't necessarily care about the United Methodist Church, but I care about being in a church that is in connection with Belong and Jasper's Church in Denver and in connection with Urban Village in Chicago. And I like named off all these people and churches that I knew. And I said, that's the church that we're building into. That's the denomination we're building into. That's where God's calling us to be. And yes, there's all this like systems and junk and whatever, but like this new thing is emerging and I can see it. And we need to just keep taking those steps and building that thing and going where God has called us to go. Okay, so one final question then for as many of you that want to answer it. Um, to the seminary student listening to this, discerning a call to plant but scared to death about planting in the Methodist church right now, or even a licensed local pastor or a lay person who says, God is calling me to start something new. Can I do that in the Methodist church? What would you tell them? What's your advice? Because planting is hard and holy work already, and this is a unique time. I would first say, listen to the call of God. Don't let the bureaucracy of the church and the problems of the church get in your way. I've also, I happen to sit on the Board of Ordained Ministry and people have asked me, would I be pushing people into the Board of Ordained Ministry right now? And my answer to that is also no. 
Um, I really believe that the future of the United Methodist Church and planting has a lot more to do with lay people and local pastors than it does with elders. And I think that's for a multitude of reasons. One is just cost. But the other is I think our system is so um, cumbersome. Years ago, I talked to a Presbyterian pastor about their polity, and he said that their polity was constipating. And I believe that I believe that the United Methodist Church polity is constipating. It is it is stopped up. It keeps us from being able to do the natural things that God calls us to do. So I don't know that I'd be going to seminary students these days and going, please join us. But I would say, do not allow the United Methodist Church to get in the way of God's call on your life. And if God is calling you to plant in a Wesleyan way, then let's figure it out and dream together as to what that might look like. Okay, I'm throwing in one last question because we're planters and we don't play by rules, right? So, um, and I'd love to kind of go around the whole circle and just get your gut response, just, you know, one or two words. There are a few plans out there that have been proposed, right? There's the, the Indianapolis, the Bard Jones, um, you have the UM Next one. Each are, are different and unique, right? But, um, some of the plans say let's just break off into two separate denominations or into three or change the current one and people who don't like it can find another church home. Which one of those sounds most appealing to you? And you don't have to answer. You can just, you know, pass the mic on as it comes by you. But would you, do you feel what's best for the future of Methodism is changing the one church, um, breaking off into two or into three? I am off the bat going to violate the rules you just set for us. Um, so, as you said, church planners don't don't follow rules. Um, I, I paid a lot of attention to the release of the Indianapolis plan and the UMC Next plan, uh, and I think that they both were interesting to me and both surprising to me, a surprising approach. And I think that what not that I, I'm going to endorse or, or say that either or both or whatever or where my heart is, but what was most interesting for me is it changed the nature of the dichotomy. For so long, we've been talking about are you inclusive or are you not inclusive or perhaps this this really problematic word compatibilist that means you're maybe somewhere in the middle, right? Um, and 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 what these plans do, I think, is it creates a different sort of alignment. It is what will allow you to be the most vital church that you feel God has called you to be, independent of uh, your your theological impressions around uh, human sexuality and inclusion, right? Like the, the question becomes, what's the shortest distance between where we are and where you feel God has called you to be? And and it's for that reason that I'm, that I'm paying attention to those plans, because I think that it allows us, uh, as, as a progressive, inclusive person, it allows me to sit next to my friends who are, are not inclusive and wouldn't identify them themselves as progressive and yet say we have interests that are aligned in changing the nature of our connection so that I can stop beating you to death and you can stop beating me to death over this particular conversation and instead we can go and do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God in our local communities and and so for me that's that, that's the the energy um, that, that I'm looking for and that's why I'm interested in it. Yeah, this, this will take hours if you do what I did. I'm sorry. Please, please don't. Any more folks that want to comment then or anyone who hasn't spoken in a while that might want to? I'll just say I'm trying not to pay attention um, because whatever the plans are now, 
um, and whatever legislation goes to general conference. Um, I am grateful that some of my colleagues here are going to be there, um, but the outcome, um, even though people have tried for a really long time to have a good outcome, it's never been a good outcome. <laughs> and so um, all I can do is keep my head to the ground <laughs> and do what I'm doing in my place and figure out a way to lead my congregation forward no matter what comes out of general conference. Um, for me, for us, I think the goal, the aim, the we are walking the path to an inclusive church. I think what would be a little different would be we're not going for the shortest path possible, but for the path that includes the most people in the end, um, that that has that's inclusive and as wide and as deep as possible. Um, because I think we bring a lot when we're together. So, I, What Mike said earlier is really compelling to me, that the fear of whatever the plans happen, that <clears throat> not much is going to change other than, to quote Mike, we're going to let gay people play every once in a while. And we talked about this last night. Correct me all if I'm wrong on this, but I don't know why <clears throat> we are so afraid of death uh, because like resurrection is our thing, I think is what we talked about. Uh, that's what we're about. And so let's see what resurrection looks like. Uh, and so, yeah, that's my fear with it, whatever plan we come up with. We won't see resurrection. I would just name that um, a, a reframing that I always try to have in the conversations uh, with my friends in Minnesota is... Um, if the conversation starts with how can we get as many people to come with us as possible, that puts the onus on the people who are coming with us. If the conversation starts with the most marginalized people, that puts the center of gravity on marginalization. And so, um, you know, like includer is my second strength in, in what is it called? Strengths finders. Yes. So it's like something I really, really care about. And I do care about a broad movement. I do care about a deep movement. Absolutely. And um, queer people of color are always the first people on the chopping block for whether... Uh, whenever anyone gets cut, it's always queer people of color first because we make people the most uncomfortable or we're um, numerically so underrepresented or not given positions of power that we're always able to be dismissed. And I, I think um, for any of these plans, the, the question for me is like, in what world are brown and black queer people going to be able to flourish because when we look, besides the fact that it's just morally right, a good moral question to ask, it's also like when we look at the statistics, like the future of the United States is going to be a lot more brown and black than it is now. And the future of the United States is going to be a lot more queer than it is now. So if we're trying to plant a denomination that will continue to exist and thrive, then we kind of need to be asking about like, what is the church where that can happen? <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes. And I also agree that yeah. Brad Rubin's in deep. Yeah. Um, for me, for us, I think um, part of what I'm trying to hear mm -hmm. is when I'm outside of my conference 
and people are saying, you know, I hear your conference is, is leaving. What I'm hearing is, <coughs> do you know you're leaving me? Um, so I sat with, um, you know, a pastor who said, you know, my brother's, you know, he, he's gay and he's in a pulpit in a conference that, that, you know, is supporting the traditionalist plan and he's not out. So where I struggle with, with how big it is, is I don't know how to both leave and hear the people on the margins that I'm leaving behind. So, you know, it, that's part of the struggle for me. So we've said a couple times in the last few days that church planting is probably the most fulfilling and the most challenging thing you can even do in ministry, right? Like it's the best thing and it's the hardest thing. And so for me, when I listen to Jerry say before, right, it seems like sometimes the plans are changing, like it, they're too fast and I can't keep up with them. It strikes, that it, it strikes me that as a planter, I kind of have a choice of where I spend my energy right now and I can spend it engaged in a fight that sometimes feels like it isn't going anywhere that we're just talking about the same things and we're, we're renaming things and we're, we're trying to do the same things we've always done as a denomination. Or I can spend it being the church that God's called us to be that loves all people. And in a community where I've got queer members of my community who don't have a pastor to come stand alongside them, um, to grieve with them, to laugh at them, to laugh with them, <laughs> to be a part of being community with them, I've got a choice about whether I try and stay up on a fight that's changing daily or whether I walk alongside of the folks God's put right in my midst. And so that choice for me sometimes feels like I'm burying my head in the sand as to what's happening with the denomination, but that's not at all what that is. It's a very conscious choice to look up at the people that are right around me and to be the church that I hope and pray we will be. So it's not, um, there's no easy fix, right? Going forward, there's no plan that everybody's rallying around or any easy answer, um, but I love what I've heard from you guys, that there are people out there who feel invisible to God, invisible to the church, invisible to the world, and how can we help them connect with God in such a way that they, they name God the way the first person in Scripture did, which was an, a non-Jewish woman, right, um, slave, who called God the one who sees, the one who sees me. So... Um, I love Hagar. She's my girl. Uh, but I'm just in prayer for you. I respect you guys so much. Your work is so hard and so brutal. It always is, right? But I feel like this season is especially exhausting because we feel torn in so many directions. So um, just know I'm praying for you. And we're praying for anyone out there listening who isn't sure what their next step is. And the prayer is that God will illuminate that step and that we'll have the courage to move in that direction, whatever it may be. That was a fascinating discussion. I loved hearing people's hopes, dreams, fears, struggles, challenges, and what they're celebrating moving forward. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, follow us, Path One, on Facebook or Instagram if you want to know when our next podcast will be available. And as always, you can reach out to me, especially if you have interest in training, assessment, or recruiting as a church planter. You can reach me at rgilmore at umcdiscipleship.org. Have a great day.